Welcome to another episode of Do Lost, and today we are going to talk about the corrupt root of the American educational system. So, we're going to jump right in talking about the American educational system, which is largely a public system. And so, the public school system, and this is coming from somebody who did not grow up in public school, so I'm an, I'm an outside observer of just the news articles and the, the controversies that go on, and I see that the, the the state, the secular state, has completely, you know, abandoned God and abandoned His Word being taught in the public schools. So I wanted to cover that because I think it's important uh, and to see how influential public schools are and how public school teachers are very, very much influential on the next generation of of leaders. Even as we see our new president Joe Biden, he claims he was. Uh, educated in a public school. A lot of people that are in the news media, uh, Don Lemon, who we'll cover here, he went to a public school. And I thought it was interesting to read an article that came out way back in the late uh, 70s by Samuel L. Blumenfeld talking about why the schools went public, which is the name of the article. But first, I want to cover education regarding the law of God first. In the Bible, in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9, God had uh, taken the next generation of Israelites and and told them what he demanded of them, what he commanded of them. And he says this in verse 1, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land where the ye go to possess it. So God's law is never disconnected from the land uh, that that these Israelites were living in. It was all part of, should be part of their society, part of their culture, from children on up to adults. Everybody should be living in the fear of God, because that's how the land would operate, and, and they, that's how God would bless them if they continue to be obedient. It says in verse 2 that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. So God is saying that these laws that I'm giving you, these commandments, are for you to continue to fear me within the land that I'm giving you to, to live in. And the very reason why he took the other one, other people out of the land and gave it to the Israelites, Israelites because they had uh, rebelled against the law of God. Those, those countries, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, all those people that were taken out, they were taken out because of their paganistic culture and, and because of their rejection of the law of God. And jump down to verse 7, God says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. So he's talking to the parents here, and he's saying, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, talking about the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So the law of God was meant to be uh, in the face of children growing up from the parents, they should be talking about it when they get up, when they sit down, when they go to bed, when they get up in the morning, when they're going out to the grocery store, when they're walking in the way, any, anywhere and everywhere. God is telling his parents that the law of God should be brought to bear on the hearts and minds of their children so that they could grow up to fear God and to walk in his ways and, and, and to be blessed by him. This is not uh, speaking of a prosperity where if you do what God wants you to do, he will bless you. But the blessing is being obedient to to your to your father to your God and what parent doesn't want to re- reward children who are who are obedient to him but in this case God is saying that you will 
be blessed. In verse 3, he says that if you observe and do it, that it will be well with you and that you, you will increase mightily in the land that the, God, that the Lord your God gives you. So I think when it comes to educating children, number one, it's important to make sure that they have the law of God brought to bear on their hearts. This is why uh, I think growing up in a Christian home for me and for many others in my church that I've talked to and over the years that having that Christian influence was very formative of how we think and how we behave and, and our interactions with authority and our interactions with strangers. All those things were important. And, and brought to bear on us because our parents ministered to us the Bible and prayed for us and taught us how to act and behave because there was a God who was watching and, and commanded us to fear him. And God, again, repeats this in, in Deuteronomy eleven eighteen through 19, where he tells them, if you obey my commands in the land, then you will be, you will be blessed. And regarding even uh, marriage, back in Genesis 1, where God says that uh, tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. He says, at, right after he says he made them male and female, he says, be fruitful and multiply. So he was saying that even in marriage, uh, he wants you to reproduce yourself, reproduce who you, who you are. We just had a son three months ago who is, who is it's fun to watch him grow up and, and post his pictures on Facebook and, and see him just grow substantially just in three months time how he's grown in eating and, and reaction and, and eye contact and laughter it's just it's a, it's a joy to see but God's uh, God's purpose for his life and for us as parents me and my wife is to teach him the law of God to teach him to obey that which is that which will please God and and we find that out in, in the Bible so our job is to teach him the Bible as teachers as parents I think we we are naturally expected to teach our children the, the law of God. And, that, and that's very important for our society going forward. If you have parents who do not teach their children to fear God, to walk in his ways and to observe his commandments, then you're, you're, you're going to have a society like we have very much today with broken homes and, and broken families and kids on the street and, and kids murdering one another and just a completely uh, delinquent culture of, of juveniles. And I remember one pastor saying that there are no, uh, there are no delinquent children, only delinquent parents. And to an extent, that's true. I know we all come into the world full of sin and evil and full of uh, lustful desires and all those kinds of things. But I think parents have a strong influence on their children, how they think, how they act, how they live, how they react. And uh, Rachel Cruz, who's another, or who's a, a Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey's daughter financial guru's daughter and she says she has a good phrase that says more is caught than taught so as parents we may do a lot of the teaching but what we've been taught and what we are adhering to will be heavily impressed upon our children when they see how we react to things in life how we think how we talk how we how we behave when we meet people out on the street how we deal with authority things of that nature our, our children will pick that up from us because even if we're not didactically sitting them down and teaching them something, they're still watching us and copying our mannerisms, copying, copying how we talk, how we speak. And of course, my child's only three months old, so I, but I've just learned this from other people who have older children that they're surprised at how much their children copied what they did. Uh, so, but Malachi two fourteen through 15, God is talking to the priest who had completely uh, abandoned his law and his rule, and he was he was upset with them, and he was telling them why he was. And he says in verse 14, he says, Yet you say, Wherefore? So they're asking him why. And he says, Because the Lord hath been, has, hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, 
against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. So God was angry with these priests who had dealt treacherously with their wives and not, and not treated them well. They had not been faithful to them. And in verse 15, it says that, and did he not make one? Talking about God, he, he made them one. Like it says in Genesis, the two shall be one, flesh. And he continues in verse 15, he says, yet had he, yet had he the residue of spirit and wherefore one that he might seek a godly seed. So why did he make them one? If God so graces, graces you to have children, the point of the marriage, or at least one of the main points, is to produce a godly seed, to produce another follower of God, another fear, another God fear in, in the society. And God wants to see his, his, his world filled. I mean, as it says in Isaiah, he formed it, he formed the world to be inhabited. And it was to be inhabited with people who will glorify God in their words and their deeds and, 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 and in their and in their thinking. So I don't want to make a law where there is no law regarding public schools. I'm not saying that if you send your child to public school, you're sinning, or if you send your child to private school, you're doing exactly what's, what is right, because there's no scripture uh, in the, uh, there's no scripture that says that you must, thou shalt send your child to public school or thou shalt not send your child to public school. What it does say is that you should teach your children to observe the commandments of God, to teach them the fear of the Lord, to teach them about the gospel of Christ, to teach them that. Uh, I think part of teaching them the law is to find out, is to show them that they need a savior because they can't keep all these laws that we're telling them, don't do this, don't do that. You should do this. You ought to behave this way. That's supposed to overwhelm anybody when they understand, wow, I can't do all of this. And that leads them to Christ. As Galatians said, the law is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. So it's, it's a great way to lead your children to the gospel by telling them, teaching them the law of God. So when it comes to uh, public school, I don't want to say that you have to send them to a, a private school if you want them to be taught the law of God. But public schools do have a heavy influence because they have children spending hours and hours a week um, and a month and over the course of a year, hundreds of hours with teachers who may or may not share biblical views on, on morality and on the law of God. So just some quick stats, quick stats about American public schools. There's over 98,000 public, public schools in America. 50.6 million kids are in the public school system compared to about 5.7 million in just private institutions. And then there's only 1.7 million in, in, house, in home schools. There's 3.2 million full-time teachers, so that's average about 16 kids per teacher. And then as a country, we spend in taxpayer dollars over $700 billion a year on our students. That averages out to about $13,000 per student. And then obviously it depends on jurisdictions and, and locations. For example, like in New York, they're spending about $22,000 per child in New York versus Oklahoma, where we're spending about think $8,000 per, per student or, or somewhere around that number. Well, I want to jump into this article by Samuel L. Blumenfeld where he talks about why the schools went public, why in American history. It's something that you really wouldn't, um, you really wouldn't think about because we're, we're so used to just having a public school system as if it always existed, which obviously it didn't. According to what Samuel Blumenfeld writes here, he was a writer on education, wrote several books, and was a lecturer on, on home schools and things like that passed away in 2015, but he wrote a very interesting article, and I want to read some excerpts from here and talk about it. So he starts out in one of the first paragraphs. He says, it has always been assumed 
by educational historians that whatever preceded public education had to be less desirable than, and therefore inferior to, what came after. Otherwise, why would Americans have adopted public education? This is the mindset that has prevented historians from telling American educational history objectively. They start from the premise that public education is an indisputable good, and they reinforce this basic assumption with a good deal of dogma and legend, often at the expense of accuracy. So what he's saying there is they start with the premise that public schools are good, so why are we even questioning their existence? Why are we questioning the system? And it's obviously working far better than you know putting your children in private schools because you know parents might teach something differently than what the state teaches and how dare that take place in our in our country full of 100 percent good pure state doctrine being taught to children in our public schools he goes on to say harvard college had been founded in 1636 with the aid of a government grant as a seminary for educating the commonwealth's future leaders and it was found that a system of lower feeder schools was necessary to help find and develop local talent and to prepare such youngsters for higher studies at harvard and future careers as magistrates and clergymen so harvard founded way back in 1636 to, as a seminary to teach uh, children and, and to, to teach people to be future leaders in, in the society. And mainly, uh, they realized that they needed lower schools to feed into Harvard schools uh, so that to train local talent to become future magistrates, you know, local leaders, city councilmen and mayors and, and police commissioners, things like that. And also to become clergymen, to become pastors. So Harvard was a, was a beacon of, 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 of uh, biblical doctrine being taught to to students who went there for educating to become people who were advanced the law of God in society and, and obviously in the church. He goes on to say that common schools were the original public schools and were to be, fa- and were to be found in New England in contiguous areas to which New Englanders had migrated. They were first created in the very early days of the Puritan Commonwealth in Massachusetts as a means of ensuring the transference of the Calvinist Puritan religion from one generation to the next. So that's a very important phrase. They wanted to keep Calvinist Puritan religion from one generation to the next. And they founded these schools to make sure that that would continue on because they wanted students, regardless of, of background, to focus on being taught Calvinist doctrine, which I think Calvinism is just a nickname for biblical Christianity. Where, so they wanted biblical truth to be made, to be made known. That's, that's, that's what Spurgeon said about, about uh, Calvinism. Charles Spurgeon. But um, uh, Blumenfeld continues, he says, the Reformation had, placed, had, re- had replaced papal authority with biblical authority, and the latter required a high degree of biblical literacy. In addition, the Puritan leaders had been impressed with the public schools created by Luther and the German princes as a means of inculcating religious doctrine and maintaining social order in the Protestant states. So this was all about maintaining a social environment where the law of God was brought to bear on the hearts of the citizens that lived in that environment so that thereby they would continue to live in a way that would be that would promote human flourishing. We hear atheists say that a lot like St. Harris. They're for human flourishing, but without a law of God, without a true fear of God, there can be no true human flourishing. There can be no true moral progress without the morality coming from the the objective standard of the law of God. Uh, Blumenfeld says uh, later, 
in the article, but what also took place during that period was an intellectual event of great importance, probably the most important in American history, the takeover of Harvard by the Unitarians in 1805 and the expulsion of the Calvinists. That takeover made Harvard not only the citadel of religious and moral liberalism, but also the citadel of anti-Calvinism. So the Unitarians came in, and Unitarians, um, they believe that God is not a, a triune being. They believe, so, and, and, by, and because of that, they don't believe that Jesus is God incarnate. So right there, the Bible says in First John, if you don't um, believe that Jesus is, is God in the flesh, then you, you are antichrist. You're essentially against Christianity. You're heretics. You are damned to hell if you believe that Christ is not God. That's, that's, that's an essential Christian doctrine. It's non-negotiable. We can't water that down at all. Jesus is God in the flesh. And these Unitarians came in and took over Harvard and, expel, and expelled the Calvinists. And uh, Blumenfeld continues, if both the socialists and the Unitarians embraced educational statism as a future way to human moral progress, it was for two reasons. So they, they embraced statism. Like the state should tell the, the public school how to educate, how to uh, make kids behave, how to treat, how to train up kids to behave in society. And it says it was for two reasons. First, they rejected the biblical Calvinist view of man. And second, they rejected the biblical view of history. Man as sinful and depraved was replaced by man as rational, benevolent, innately good and perfectible. You hear this term all the time, moral progress or, 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 or even aspects of social justice belief that society, if society were better, if society were more acclimated to uh, giving everybody equal opportunity, equal uh, chances in life, there would be less sin. There would be less uh, destruction in the society. There would be more human flourishing if we created a society that, uh, that produced and brought out the innate goodness of man. The problem with that is Jesus said there's no one good, no, not one. He just said there's only one that's good, and that's God. The Bible says that there's no, there's no no one that's good, not even one. They've all gone out of the way. They've all become corruptible and, and, and full of iniquity. Romans 3 says, so they had a completely opposite view of the biblical view of man. And Blumenfeld continues, but the American form of limited government with its elaborate checks and balances have been created on the basis of the Calvinist distrust of human nature, which I think is very important. They, they, they realize that the human nature is not to be trusted. And this is an interesting quote as he continues. He says, the Calvinists didn't believe that power corrupts man, but that man corrupts power. Man is a sinner by nature and therefore cannot be trusted with power. Only a true fear of God, they believed, can hold sinful man in check. Now, as far as I know, Blumenfeld is not a Christian. He's just telling it like he has read it in history. And this phrase, last, this last phrase here, only a true fear of God, they believe, can hold sinful man in check. That's, ex that's pretty much almost exactly what Proverbs 16, 6 talks about. It says that by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So if you want people to depart from doing what is evil, from murdering, from killing, from raping, from, from beating people up, from defrauding people, from committing adultery, all these things, you have to inculcate them with a true fear of God, which says that God will send you to hell. If you embrace these things, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 is, is, is perfectly clear on that. If you are a homosexual, if you are 
If you are a thief, if you are a fornicator, if you are an idolater, an adulterer, if you're any of these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you want people to live in such a way that is beneficial for everybody, in a way that people will love their neighbor. You have to inculcate them with a true fear of God. Blumenfeld, in this last quote here, he says, The linking of state power to teacher education was indeed a crowning circumstance, creating what James G. Carter, a Harvard Unitarian, uh, James G. Carter was, had described in 1825 as a powerful, quote, engine to sway the public sentiment, the public morals, and the public religion, more powerful than any other in the possession of government, end quote, from James G. Carter. Here, that Blumenfeld quotes. So he's saying, James G. Carter's Unitarian from Harvard was saying that the fact that we were able to take over the public school system, to take over the, the training up of children, the education of children, of young minds, is the most powerful tool we have to impact morality in society. They, he's essentially saying that because we have teachers who are teaching children statism, pretty much, and teaching them not the law of God, not truth, not righteousness, not virtue, not morality. They're teaching them what the state deems necessary. And since the state is now a has rejected God as as its as its leader and as its authority, this is teaching them whatever comes down the pike. So you want to teach kids, uh, you want drag queens to read to children. You have drag queens read to children. If you want uh, children learning about gay sex and, and homosexuality, then you have that take place in the public schools. If you want children to embrace victimology and never take responsibility for their own actions, then you have that taking place in the being taught to people in the public school because uh, statism has taken over. And this is the most powerful tool the government has to sway public morals, public religion, uh, and public sentiment. And uh, uh, Blumenfeld ends by saying, Carter was perfectly right. For once the philosophy of statism is firmly entrenched in a nation's teachers' colleges, that philosophy will very soon permeate every other aspect of society. And that's exactly what we're seeing in government, in media, in uh, in the family, in the police force. Everything has been permeated by the secular, ungodly religion. Now, there's still obviously vestiges of, of biblical truth and even government. I heard uh, John MacArthur preach a message and he quoted Ian Murray. Who, and he says, he says, the secular state is a lie. Government is a divine institution. That's a very powerful statement. Government, the very fact that government has been, that government exists, is it's not a man-made deal. Government is ordained by God, Romans 13. The powers that be are ordained of God, people that are in authority. President Biden, uh, you have Boris Johnson in the UK. Um, I can't remember any other world leaders, which is really pathetic. But anybody who's in power right now is in power because uh, they have been ordained to be empowered by God. And we ought to give them the, the respect that they're due. We ought to not, like I believe, I don't think you should be making fun of Joe Biden's age and, and, and his and his. Uh, his uh, mishaps and, and, and stumblings and things like that. And it's difficult. I, I've been guilty of doing that, of laughing and, and chuckling at that kind of stuff. But the Bible says to respect those in authority, to fear the judges of the people. So we have to give them their due, of, uh, their due respect. However, that does not mean we kowtow to their 
policies. So if they're instituting bad policies and policies that go against the law of God, then we ought to speak up against that. Just like John the Baptist told Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother as a wife. And what happened to John the Baptist? He got his head chopped off because of, because of it. So it is a dangerous thing to speak against the state, but you have to uphold righteousness even to those in authority while doing it with respect. And uh, I want to take a short break, and after this we'll talk about how this corrupt route leads to really bad, wretched fruit in, in the public school system. So I want to take a couple of, of examples of fruits of this corrupt tree within the public schools. And uh, Christopher Rufo, who, who is a journalist, who wrote a piece in the City Journal, talking about a new program of education within the California public school system that's for all 10,000 public schools and which would serve 6 million children. And uh, this was coming up for a vote when I first read the article. Now it has since passed unanimously, by the way. So every single person on that council voted for this new program. And it'll be, it's pretty shocking when you read it. And I, I have some excerpts from his article. He says, quote, the new program called the Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum seeks to extend the left's cultural dominance of California's public university system 50 years in the making to the state's entire primary and secondary education system, which consists of 10,000 public schools serving a total of 6 million students. He goes on to write, R. Tolteka Kwahutin, the original co-chair of the Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum, developed much of the material regarding early American history. In his book, Rethinking Ethnic Studies, which is cited throughout the curriculum, curriculum, Kwauten argues that the United States was founded on a Eurocentric, white supremacist, racist, anti-black, anti-indigenous, capitalist, classist, patriarchal, sexist, and misogynistic, heteropatriarchal, homophobic, and anthropocentric paradigm brought from Europe. End quote. That's, that was a quote from his book. And Rufo continues, the document claims that whites began grabbing the land, hatching hierarchies, and developing for Europe whiteness, which created excess wealth that became the basis for the capitalist economy. Whites established a hegemony that continues to the present day in which minorities are subjected to socialization, domestication, and zombification. So this guy, Arteltika Kwautin, is calling out the uh, founding of America as evil, racist, white supremacist, and on all these things uh, that are ungodly. And obviously, much of that is true. Much much of the nation was uh, fraught with uh, bias and, 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 and evil against people from Africa and that they brought over uh, via slave ships. And um, there are a lot of things that uh, I would probably will cover, especially later on in other future episodes about that. But suffice it to say for now that this guy is saying that the founding of the country was built on these things. When, when you look at the Constitution, you look at the Declaration of Independence, I don't even think it has anything about race or about colors in there. Obviously, it does talk about slaves and, and voting in a way that causes slaves to not be full, fully persons. And there's a huge there was a debate about why they did that. And there was some good reason and bad reason for it, which I won't get into right now. Uh, but it, it is interesting to read about when you, when you look at it. Where Rufo continues and he says, the religious narrative is even more disturbing. 
The curriculum recommends that teachers lead their students in a series of indigenous songs, chants, and affirmations, including the, quote, Inlak Ek affirmation, which appeals directly to the Aztec gods. Now, going back to what I started off the show with is that when God brought the Israelites into the land that he was giving them, the land that flows with milk and honey, he said the very reason why he took out those people was because they were serving pagan gods. They were doing pagan things, sacrificing children. They were engaging in, in, in perversion, uh, perverse sexual uh, acts, and they were disregarding the law of God. So God specifically judged those nations by using the Israelites to bring them out of those nations, out of those lands, and give them to the Israelites because of their rejection of his law. So now this guy is telling these students that they ought to go back to uh, chanting and supporting indigenous uh, Aztec false gods that people that were in the Americas before the Europeans came over and started settling and taking over or worshiping. And this may not be a popular thing to say, but what happened to those people who were worshiping false gods? Although what the the actions of the Europeans did was was wrong and not it wasn't their place to 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 commit violence and rape and and, and attack these people and, and subjugate them. What they were the the people that are worshiping false gods they deserve to be punished. They deserve to suffer violence because they were worshiping false gods. And that's not my word. That's that's the word of scripture. If you are worshiping a false God, there's only one true and living God. If you're worshiping a false God, God will punish you for worshiping anybody else but him. He deserves all glory, all praise. He's the creator. He's a judge. He's a savior. And what I what we covered in the last episode on the sovereignty of God, there's only one. And he is in complete control and he demands worship and he deserves it because he made us and created us and sustains us. So but this guy, Karhutin, is wanting these children to chant and sing songs to these false Aztec gods. And Rufo continues here. He says, students first clap and chant to the god Tezcatlipoca, whom the Aztecs traditionally worshipped with human sacrifice and cannibalism, asking him for the power to be warriors for social justice. Next, the students chant to the gods Quetzalcoatl, Huitzilopochtli, and Zipitotec, seeking healing epistemologies in a revolutionary spirit. Huitzilopochtli, in particular, is the Aztec deity of war and inspired hundreds of thousands of human sacrifice during Aztec rule. This is, this is the god that this guy wants to, to give the students because, as you'll see later, because the Christian god is what else other than a white supremacist god. And he says... Uh, finally, the chant comes to a climax with a request for liberation, transformation, and decolonization, after which students shout, Panche Bay, Panche Bay, in, in pursuit of ultimate critical consciousness. Now, I'm not even sure what that means, but it can't mean anything biblical or good. Of I don't think, obviously, not meditating on, on the law of God to get to a place of critical thinking based on the law of God. This is completely secular and, and just downright pagan. This is pagan worship being taught and this unanimously passed remember this is a unanimously passed in the california school system and i think as california goes the nation generally goes 
And he ends by saying this, and this guy is not a believer. He's not, he's not a Christian, but he says, the chants have a clear implication. The displacement of the Christian God, which is said to have, which is said to be an extension of white supremacist oppression and the restoration of the indigenous gods to their rightful place in the social justice cosmology. And this, this is just complete paganism, but it goes to the heart of the fact that the, the public school system has been taken over by, was taken over by these Unitarians, these so-called Christian, a Christian sect is just a false, a false belief system that doesn't accept the true God, is it doesn't accept uh, Christ as, as God in, in the flesh. And so it's a false, it's a false religion. But this, this religion has taken over the school system. And of course, it leads to false God worship, because once you reject the true God, then you will just worship anything that you think should be in his place. And another example of this is a few weeks ago, the Catholic Church came out and surprisingly remained Catholic and said that God cannot bless the sin of, uh, of homosexual unions. And Don Lemon, who's a famous CNN anchor, who's been engaged to his partner, who is a, who's a man uh, for, for, I think, a couple of years now, uh, had a reaction to this on, on The View. We'll play a few clips here. But Don Lemon, he went to Baker High School, a public school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He went to Louisiana State University, which is a public university. And I want to respond to what he says in a couple of statements here, and we'll play the first clip and I'll respond to that. Respect people's right to believe in whatever they want to believe in their God. But if you believe in something that hurts another person that, or that does not give someone the same rights or freedoms, not necessarily under the Constitution because this is under God, uh, I, I think that that's wrong. So in that clip, he talks about how uh, gay people not being given the same rights is, is wrong. I would like to ask him wrong based on what? Because if it's wrong, then that means, if it's objectively wrong, then there must be something that's objectively right. And, I'm, and I would like to ask him, what are you basing your wrongness and rightness on? We throw these words out all the time. People say this all the time. He's a good man. That's a good deed that he did. That's, that's, that was bad. He shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Nobody's perfect. What are all these words based off of, if not the law of God? If they're not based on the law of God, then they're just, they're just our own subjective opinions of what good and what bad is. But John Lemon continues here. <clears throat> and he says, here, play the clip. And I think that the, the Catholic Church and many other churches really need to reexamine themselves and their teachings because that is not what God is about. God is not about hindering people or even judging people. So he says churches need to reexamine their teachings because that is not what God is about. God is not about hindering people or even judging people. And that last part, I kind of chuckled. I was like, how... Does he, clearly he doesn't know God because God is the judge of all the earth. The Bible repeats that over and over. There will be a great white throne judgment where God will be sitting on his throne judging those who did not believe in him and bringing out the books and opening them up and, and showing uh, people that they are guilty before God. And I just want to read a couple of verses here where God talks, uh, the Psalms talk about God's, God's uh, role as judge. Psalm 9, 7, he says, it says, the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. His throne is based on, on judgment, on, on showing who was done right, who was done good, who, and who, would, who will be punished. And in verse 17, it says that the, or verse 16, it says, the Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. And in verse 17, it says, the wicked shall be turned into hell. 
and all the nations that forget God. So it's, it is a death sentence to reject God and his law. It is a death sentence to reject God as judge because that's how you know the Lord. If you don't, if you don't receive God as judge, then you never can know him because he is the judge. He is the one who is angry with the wicked every day, Psalm 711 says. So to say that God is not about hindering people or judging people, that's exactly what God is about. <laughs> There's no other way around that. And he has another, another his final clip here. So I would say to the Pope and the Vatican and all Christians or Catholics or whomever, whatever religion you believe out, you, you happen to belong to out there, go out and meet people and try to understand people and do what the Bible and what, what Jesus actually said, if you believe in Jesus, and that is to love your fellow man and judge not lest ye be not judged. So he says there, go out and meet people and do what Jesus said. I agree with that. We ought to do what Jesus said, and it's good to go out and meet people as well. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But he's, his, his, he's using that as the, 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 hidden, the, hidden, um, the hidden reason of going out to meet people is that when you meet people, you tend to embrace their humanity. It's easy to criticize somebody that you don't see. But when you start talking to them, you start realizing that they're, they're, they're human. I mean, you knew that before, but you recognize them, you see them eye to eye, and you're telling them that, you know, you're going to die and go to hell if you don't believe in Christ, if you don't reject your sin, if you don't, uh, you know, leave this lifestyle. Uh, it's, it's difficult, it's more difficult to say that to somebody looking at them in the eye than just saying that in general online. But he's saying that if you don't go out and meet people, then you won't learn that, that they have different complications, that maybe you should revise your teachings because these are just people just like you who are just trying to do, quote, the right thing. And, but the Bible talks about what love is. Jesus did say that as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. That's John 13, 34. In 1 Corinthians 13, 6, it says that, however, that when it talks about, it's describing love. And it says that re love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. So the Bible is clear on that, that God does not rejoice in sin. So homosexuality is a sin that God does not take uh, kindly. He's not pleased with it. It's, a, it's even a form of judgment for rejecting him that he puts on people. So it's not, as Romans 1 says, it's not something that we can just overlook and, and pretend that it's all good because they love one another. Well, love, true love does not rejoice in iniquity. So whatever it is that they have between one another, what Don Lemon has between him and his partner, it's not biblical love. If anything, it's this carnal, perverse lust that God clearly condemns in his word and the Catholic Church actually, you know, came out and, and repeated that as in saying that God can't bless sin, even though they also said in the statement that they don't necessarily condemn the people, which kind of, it's kind of ridiculous to say, because even as R.C. Sproul said, God doesn't just send sin to hell, he sends sinners to hell. And then he also says that you should judge not lest ye be not judged. And I was, I was like, that didn't sound right. And, and Matthew 7 says, judge not lest ye be judged um, but I th he may have misquoted it but maybe I'm thinking it probably wasn't intentional because I think we live in a way that I think we are, are also susceptible to not wanting to judge somebody because we know we're sinners and we are we have fallen short so we kind of shy away from judging somebody because we think we'll get a we'll get more of a pass if we don't judge people and I think people in the world tend to think more along those lines and Christians do because we understand that judgment is good and we're called to judge the Bible says 
um, and test things and, and prove things out. But in the world, I think they, they, they shy away from judging because they know that they don't do everything right. And they also don't think that they will be held accountable if they don't you know, hold others accountable themselves. So bad, bad teaching leads to bad believing, which leads to bad behavior. If you are living in a society, which I think we are, that the law of God has been dragged through the mud and has been rejected and has uh, literally been thrown out of the public school system and now has been replaced with literal paganism for California public schools. And then this trend is going to be seeping its way throughout the country, I'm sure. Uh, this is what we're going, we're going to get more of the same bad behavior. As I said earlier in the podcast that uh, quoted uh, that preacher who said that delinquent, uh, there are no delinquent children, only delinquent parents. And the parents that are going on along with this in the school system are aiding and abetting, aiding and abetting this kind of teaching to permeate their own children. And those, those children do grow up and become grown men and women who will continue to pass on the secular paganistic thinking that is being inculcated in them now. And I want to end on this quote from, quote of the day from uh, John Calvin, the uh, French reformer, who, um, who said, God is not acknowledged when, bare and empty, when a bare and empty name is given to him, but when, when but when we ascribe to him full authority. So God deserves full authority. And if we don't give him that full authority, which is revealed in his word, then we are just giving him an empty name. Oh yeah, we believe in God. Yeah, we're one nation under God. But if we're not really under his law, and we don't really give him the full authority to rule and to reign in our country, are we really under God? Or are we just under a God that we've made out of, out of our, own, our own mind, which is breaking the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So I'd like to, hopefully that was helpful to you, and I hope to see you again on the next episode of The Do Loss Show.